Welcome to Pod for the Cause, the official podcast of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights and the Leadership Conference Education Fund, where we expand the conversation on the critical civil and human rights challenges of our day. I'm your host, Ashley Allison, coming to you from Washington, D.C. And like we start off every show, we got the Pod Squad, where we discuss pop culture and social justice topics and bring our issue areas into the conversation. I have some amazing guests joining the Pod Squad today. They're also my friends, Ashley Bryant, principal of AB Partners, and Gabby C., political director of 1199 SEIU. Today, we are talking about getting out the vote, getting out the count, and really making sure that everyone exercises every right they have while living in this country. Let's go right in. It's going to be like old times. (laughs) Yay. Let's do it. Okay, so first... I'm a hypochondriac, if you didn't know that. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> I don't think I have coronavirus, but yeah. I think everybody... You better not have coronavirus. has coronavirus. <laughs> well, I hate to tell you, but if everybody else has coronavirus, you got coronavirus, Facts. too. But let's just take this back a second. So 1199, the organization that I work for, is a healthcare union, right? Okay. So we represent healthcare workers from Massachusetts to Florida. Yes. And everywhere in between. Coronavirus is a real thing, but you know, there are some pretty simple things you can do to prevent it, like washing your hands. Right. 20 seconds. For 20 seconds. Let it bubble up like you're a little yes. kid. Yes, let it lather, you know. Oh, lather. Bubble up, bubble up, bubble up, bubble up. It's something that we should definitely be concerned about. And all the health officials are telling us that it is going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. But what's important is that folks don't panic. Like if you're exhibiting some of the symptoms, you see a healthcare professional right away and that you try to quarantine yourself, you know. Mm-hmm, so if you mm-hmm. feel sick, if you've experienced the symptoms, you should immediately go see either a medical professional in real yeah. life or if you have like telemedicine, like a lot of insurance plans offered now, you can do that as well. Yeah. And so okay. it is scary. But there are real steps that we can take to, like, diminish the threat of coronavirus in our personal lives and encourage all of your friends to, too. So, like, when our mom has taught us to wash our hands and say the ABC song, like, just do that. And don't, like, wipe your nose, cover right. your mouth when you sneeze. I heard recently that 19,000 people have already died from the flu this year alone. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like, I feel like there's this, you know, pandemonium. But everyone that's scared probably didn't even get a flu vaccine. Oh, you know, and it's just I like... <laughs> <laughs> but it's just I have reasons. <laughs> but it's so true, though. It's like these things are there and they're preventative measures. And now we're so afraid of this coronavirus. But it's like half of the country is walking around with the flu, which is just as deadly to your yeah. point. Dang, you know, one you of just the other things the CDC says is like sleep. Like, if you have a strong immune uh, well, system, yeah. just if you take some rest, <laughs> if you wash your hands, if you, like, take all the steps to stay healthy, yeah. you know. Wash your hands. Cover your mouth when you sneeze. Yep. With your elbow, not With your hands. hands. Fist bumps. Fist bumps. <laughs> right. All these conferences and travel. Carry some hand sanitizer. Yes. Try and just be as safe as possible. And if you're sick, 
Stay, stay home. home. Stay now, I home. know that's a privilege because everyone doesn't have sick days, which is another reason. Yeah. But if you do have that privilege, don't fall into that vicious cycle where you're sick and you just go to work because you want to be a martyr. Of course. We and, don't want your corona. Right. But and for like businesses that are listening, you know, like yeah. this is our responsibility. I mean, us at AB Partners, we definitely put out a note of like if mm. you have a tinge, a twitch or anything, do not feel obligated to come into this office. Like yeah. stay home. And, you you know, businesses should be able to do that and be able to look beyond just the benefits of do you have a sick day? Yeah. But actually, I mean, it's protecting your entire environment. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So this has been the longest election cycle I can ever remember. I'm exhausted and I haven't even gotten to vote in my primary. <laughs> we know, just same. had Super Tuesday. What do you think? So we just saw the race essentially narrow to two white men in their 70s who have very different visions for what the next step after Donald Trump is. And I think it's so interesting that in 2020, <laughs> we still end up here. But, you know, as a person that's done this like you all for quite some time, it's like, it's not surprising no. either. No. And it's not the end of the world. Like, you know, we can build a better America with both Senator Joe Biden, Lord have mercy, Vice President Joe <laughs> Biden or Senator <laughs> Bernie Sanders. And so we're OK. Yeah. And like a lot of the immediate reaction that we saw, like, oh, my God, everything is like, no, it's not. We're fine. We're showing the world, hopefully, that there's a path that democracy still exists, at least through our democratic nomination process. Mm -hmm, the Republicans mm -hmm. are something else. They're canceling primaries left and right. But at least on a democratic side, there's still a process that allows voters to say who they think the best nominee is. And so that has to make us feel good. Even mm -hmm. with like what happened in Iowa, we still got through it. Yeah, Took a little bit right, longer, but right. like yeah. we're still here. Yeah. I think you're I think you're right. I always have to come and combat you. But mm -hmm. I think some of our concerns are real to look at does this process actually represent who is actually the base of this country? Like who makes up our United States? Mm -hmm. And so I think that what we're seeing, right, is like it took us to get to the South Carolina. It took us to yeah. get to the southern states to where you're actually seeing a black electorate, a more brown mm -hmm. electorate mm -hmm. as we're talking about California. And so I do think that while, yes, we should feel like we'll be OK, mm -hmm. <laughs> like we'll be OK yeah. if it's Biden or if it's Bernie. But I do think that this is a moment where we we should be talking about how do we change this, right? Because yeah. we shouldn't make candidates put all these resources into an yeah. Iowa caucus that doesn't represent the real yeah. electorate. We lost good yeah. candidates because of that, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I think that's a real concern that we should uplift that because it's a disservice that we did lose some very qualified folks and we're here now, but yeah. it could be different. I sent a tweet out, I think, right before New Hampshire that basically said, when black people show you what they want after mm. South Carolina, are you going to listen? Right. Yeah. And I think actions speak louder than words. Everybody is like, well, don't call it out just yet. Don't call it. The story yeah. is being written before us right. and people are not listening to it. And so you can't say one thing and then let your actions say another. Look, I'm a competitive person. I'm going to fight till the end. But. I have never heard so many people talk about black and brown people in an election cycle mm. than I have this year. I'm like, okay, people, you're trying to see me. You might yeah. not completely see, but you're trying to. And yet when black people are saying what they want, it doesn't seem to matter. 
Yeah, as long as it doesn't fit into what people think black people should think about something or the candidate that they would support, then we completely dismiss it. I mean, we've seen things, particularly on Twitter, you know, low information voters, mm-hmm. right, right, so they're right, disconnected. Right. I mean, the yeah. one good thing that came out of Super Tuesday is that we dismissed Michael Bloomberg and the idea that he could buy his way into this election and be competitive yep. and that like you know black people are going to support him because we like shiny objects and you know if you give right. us enough ads yeah. it shut that down but I think you're absolutely right that like folks aren't listening to what black folks are they're listening and saying yeah but you're wrong mm-hmm. you're wrong I yeah. are you, you but sure you're you wrong. don't really know you don't really need that let me yeah. give you some more education you know, yeah. yeah and I also think this is also a year where like voter suppression is a thing now because it's not just now that it's hurting you all now that it's hurting Mm. the white community or the majority quote unquote now it's a real thing now we're ready to talk about it and put resources towards it but it's also like we know that black and brown voters lead the narrative they lead the Mm -hmm. electorate and so you know when we talk about like the interference of 2016 we talk about GOP operatives that are working hard and spending millions and millions of dollars to misinform and disinform black voters and discourage black voters from even showing up right And so now, to your point, it's the most I've heard pundits or anyone talking about the black and brown community when this oppression has been happening Mm -hmm. for hundreds of (laughs) years since our founding. founding, But now it's a real thing. Super Tuesday, a man had to wait seven hours. Uh, Yeah. Seven that was in hours, Texas, right? Yeah, yes. in Texas. Yeah. Who has seven hours? I was like, where did did you Insane. go to the bathroom? Did you eat seven, seven, hours, seven hours to vote at Texas Southern? Actually, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, HBCU. Mm-hmm. HBCU. So there's no confusion on what's happened. Like, and if we think voter suppression is bad in just a Democratic primary, imagine what it's going to be in the general. I mean, oh, it's yeah. really, really scary, and I struggle a lot with this because you know, you all both work in voter suppression. You in real life and in the courts, Ashley Allison and Ashley (laughs) Bryant. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley Bryant, you know, digitally when it's more pervasive and it's not just voter suppression, it's misinformation that leads to people just like not trusting in the systems. And I struggle with talking about this a lot because like the more we talk about them, the more afraid people will be and the more likely they are to just like sit it out. Yes. But it is happening and we should recognize it and talk about solutions. So like what's the right balance between like not scaring the you know what out of people from voting that Mm -hmm. already don't trust systems, but also informing people what they should say or do if they feel like they're being targeted by it. Thank you, Ashley Bryant, Gabby C., for joining me on the Pod Squad. Coming up, we have a very special guest, the one and only Stacey Abrams. So don't go anywhere. Take me on a trip, I'd like to go someday. Take me to New York, I'd love to see LA. I really want to come pick you with you. You'll be my American boy. Welcome back to Pod for the Cause. Today, we are talking all about getting out the vote and getting out the count. And we have a very, very, very special guest with us today. She was the Democratic candidate for governor in the state of Georgia. She's the founder and chair of Fair Fight. She's the founder of Fair Count. She does it all. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Stacey Abrams to the show. How are you today? I am well. Thank you so much. We're going to jump right into it. We just had Super Tuesday. Big wins for Biden, big wins for Sanders. What do you think the country is telling us coming off of Super Tuesday, South Carolina, Nevada, New Hampshire, Iowa, all of the above? I think they're doing what the primaries are designed to do, which is to 
signal, one, the enthusiasm that we're seeing around the country to have a nominee who can defeat the current president. But more importantly, we're seeing people say that we can't predict what they want. Yeah. <laughs> they want to actually be heard. They don't want to be told what they're going to do. That's how a primary should work. Mm-hmm. It's a preference primary for a reason. And we need to let people tell us who they want. And if we have an answer by the convention, that's great. And if we don't, that's also not fatal. We need to listen to the electorate and the people. What do you actually think it does take? Like, this is the most important election of our lifetime. What do you think it will take to be Donald Trump in November? I think first we have to actually train our attention not on defeating Trump, but on Mm -hmm. winning America. Rather than trying to counter program for his bad behavior, his meanness, Mm -hmm. his demonization, his authoritarianism, we have to plan for what people actually want to see. Mm -hmm. The challenge with running against someone is that you are, by the very nature of making them the center of your strategy, you are playing their game. We cannot afford to do that. We have to run a campaign that turns out people who did not participate in 2016, who were prevented from participation because of voter suppression, those who were disinformed because of the Russians and the Republicans, and those who did not see themselves in the conversation. The candidate who effectively does that is the candidate who wins the White House and, as a happy consequence, defeats Donald Trump. You started Fair Fight and Fair Count. Fair Count is focused on the census, and people start getting their census forms March 12th online, in the mail. They can fill it out, calling the Census Bureau. Why did you, instead of maybe perhaps running for president yourself, which I was hoping would happen, but everyone has their chance to make a choice. I told everyone I would change my whole life to work for you if you ran for president. So just know that. (laughs) But why did you decide to start Fair Count after such a historic run for governor of Georgia? So Fair Fight and Fair Count came about at the same time. So between Election Day and my non-confession day, I really had to think about the work I wanted to do. But I also wanted to think about the role I could play in making it so. Fair Fight was because we have to fix the infrastructure of democracy. Fair Count is because we have to understand the inputs that decide what we get and how it's distributed. So if we aren't counted in the census, we lose access to trillions of dollars over a decade. We lose access to political power through reapportionment and redistricting. In March, when I made the final decision about what I was going to do, it was that I realized we had an extraordinary slate of candidates who were running. And the greatest addition I could make to the conversation was actually building the infrastructure and ensuring that we had a census that worked. So Fair Fight 2020, which is in 18 states, making sure that we have voter protection across this country, and Fair Count, which is designed to make sure that hard-to-count populations are seen and heard and counted in the census process. The census feeds is going to dictate what happens to us for the last 10 years, and we've done several shows, so our listeners are all the way versed on that. As a Black woman in this country, you had an historic run as governor in the state of Georgia. The election was unfairly stolen from you, and yet you go back to work to fight to save our democracy, which is what Black women do all the time. What do you think people should be doing to earn the vote of Black women in this election? What would they need to do to earn your vote? I want to know what they would do with the power of the presidency, and that is best evidenced by the kind of campaign they run. Are they investing in communities of color, especially in Black communities, early? 
or are they waiting until the last few weeks of an election and then suddenly showing up saying, just go mobilize? Because if you believe in our communities, you invest early to build the capacity of those communities to participate. Number two, are you giving us an authentic understanding of who you are and what you will do if elected? I don't want to hear about what you think I want to hear. I want to hear what you believe and intend to do. And I can decide if I share it, but I don't want you to pander to me by pretending something you don't actually hold to be true. And number three, I need to see you competing everywhere. I don't want to see folks only competing for the white working class or only competing for the Latino or only competing for the black vote. I want someone who's competing for America. And Mm -hmm. that means you understand the complexity of America and you're challenging yourself to show up in all of those spaces and engage all of those voices. I mean, you did that as a candidate running for governor. You went to every county in the state of Georgia. Some said they had never seen a candidate come there before unless they lived in that area. And while you were doing that, what was the biggest lesson you learned that you would want to share with other people who are thinking about running for office? It works. (laughs) I mean, the thing was, we raised money in Georgia and around the country to fund our campaign. And we spent that money on the field talking to voters, reaching out to them, listening to them. And as a result, we tripled Latino turnout. We tripled Asian Pacific Islander turnout. We increased Black participation rates by 40%, which meant that rather than the 1.1 million voters who voted in 2014, 1.2 million Black people voted for me. We increased youth participation rates by 139%, and we actually increased the white share of the Democratic electorate for the first time in a generation. If you do this work, it will happen. We will win elections when voters believe we care about their lives. And that's what this investment is about. That's what this authenticity is about. That's what showing up is about. It's letting people know that you actually want to see them and you will actually serve them when you're in office. I learned that in 2018, you were the most Googled person in the world. Did you know that? (laughs) I'm sure you did. I did did hear about that. (laughs) I added several contributions to that Googling throughout the year and following your candidacy. You became not just a candidate in Georgia. You really became a candidate for America. And you put hope in my heart around what politics could look like and so many other people. So anybody would be lucky to potentially have you on their ticket. What would somebody have to do to convince you that they deserve the one and only Stacey Abrams, because let me tell you, they should have to work hard to get you, sis, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate that, but what they would have to do is ask. Service as vice president, as a running mate, and as a lieutenant to the leader of the free world is an extraordinary honor. One I think I'm fully prepared to take on. I've built the capacity in management. I've been a bit of an autodidact on foreign policy. I've done the work of fighting for our democracy. And I am a formidable legislator. I'm also a really good campaigner. And so I think I could do the job. But I also recognize that the nominee has to see the potential value. And I hope that what I've done through my life and through my work is emblematic of what service I could provide if asked to be someone's running mate. I just would be overwhelmed if I got the chance to do anything to help elect you to be president, vice president. I think one of the ways I can be very helpful is your incredible enthusiasm. It's kind, but I think it's also emblematic of what we can do. Part of my life, not just me running for office, but the way I've lived my life, whether by heritage or by intention, has meant that I've been in lots of different spaces where my responsibility is 
to not only navigate, but to engage and include. That's my strong suit. I believe in service as a way of life, and I believe in inclusion as the only way we achieve success. I think that is a useful attribute, not only in a campaign, but certainly in an administration. And I hope folks will pay attention. We have Stacey Abrams, Black Girl Magic, the candidate of America that we all want and can't wait to support again. If and when you decide to run, all the candidates need to be having her as number one option for vice president. I'm saying it here. You heard it now on Pod for the Cause. But you have had such a breadth of experience. And I'm a millennial. I'm a black woman. I'm an active voter. And so I'm interested, as I'm learning in my career, and so many of our listeners are millennials of color, what's some advice you would give us as we are thinking about working in social justice and exploring careers of public service? One of the reasons I answer so forthrightly when asked the question about possibly serving as vice president is not arrogant. It is that people, especially communities of color, women of color, need to see an ambition for more. And if you are in the work of social justice, everything we do is so often about triage, making sure things don't get even worse. But we have to have the ambition for what more looks like, what better looks like, and how we can be part of it. We are taught sometimes that if you are in service, That not only means sublimating yourself, it means hiding yourself. But success for others comes when people believe that you can help deliver. And so I encourage women like you to make sure you don't hide yourself. There's a difference between humility and self-effacement. When you erase yourself from the narrative, you give people permission to do that not only to you, but to those you serve. Humility says, I know I'm not the best, but I'm really good. Self-effacement says, I had nothing to do with this. Give someone else the credit. When you give someone else the credit, you also give them the authority to set the agenda. And so I would just urge everyone to think about who they are, how they sit in that space, and why they are the person to lead and to serve. Because if you don't believe it, why should anyone else? Last question. We like to bring culture into social justice. You are doing the work that is going to change people's lives, save our country. When you need that one theme song, that one get you right, get in the car, I'm on my way to work, what is the song that you put on to just change the way you are feeling about what might be happening in the White House or in our country? What's your theme song? See, I'm going to disappoint you and tell you I don't have a theme song. What's your soundtrack? I I, I do. I have a soundtrack. It has a mix of Estelle, Ludacris, Beyonce, Lizzo but also Dolly Parton, Jars of Clay, anything from Moana or from Hamilton. I know that's right. Miranda. So yeah, I have a whole soundtrack that gets me going. Well, we are so honored and thankful for everything that you do to help Black people, to help all people, to help this country. We need a leader like you, Leader Stacey Abrams, now more than ever. Thank you for joining Pod for the Cause. We love you. We have your back. And keep fighting, sis, because you are doing it so well. Thank you so much. It's been delightful, Ashley. Thanks again to the incredible Stacey Abrams for joining us on Pod for the Cause. Coming up, I'll hit you with some real talk during our hot take segment, where I get a few things off my chest in three minutes or less. Jolene, 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 I'm begging of you, please don't take my man. Jolene, Jolene. Jolene, Jolene, 
Welcome back to Pod for the Cause, where we've been talking all about getting out the vote and getting out the count. And between the pod squad and Stacey Abrams, I have a few things to say. You know, one of our first episodes of Pod for the Cause was about civic engagement. It was May of 2019, and the Democratic field was just starting to populate with candidates. Throughout the whole summer, we saw one of the largest and most diverse pool of candidates for the Democratic Party. We had a white man who was gay and was a veteran. We had a black woman. We had a black man. We had an Asian Pacific Islander. We had a couple Asian Pacific Islander. We had older white men and younger white men and everything in between. And we had more women running for office than we have ever before. Fast forward to now, and the field is a little less diverse. And I know that that might not be as exciting for everyone. But it doesn't actually matter how diverse this field is right now. It matters about what you're going to do when you have a chance to vote. What are you going to stand up for? If you're listening to this show, I believe you care about education, criminal justice reform and policing reform and economic justice. And so I believe you will vote for a candidate that stands for those things, for a fair judiciary, for a fair and accurate census to stop voter suppression. But I need you to pay attention to more than just who's on the top of the ticket. There's senators, there's governors, there's House members, state legislatures. There's so many people on this ballot that we need to get educated. We need to find out the candidates who care about the issues that affect us the most. It's more than just a president. So you can't be upset that really the field now is basically going to be either Joe or Bernie against Donald Trump. So we have a choice of older white men. Because there's a whole diverse slate of candidates down that ticket that can really affect change. So we just had Super Tuesday. The outcome is what it is. But you have a chance when your primary comes and when the general election comes in November to really make a historic vote. So don't forget to register. Don't forget to go vote. Vote early. Vote by mail. Go vote. And make your voice matter. listening to Pod for the Cause, the official podcast of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights and the Leadership Conference Education Fund. For more information, please visit civilrights.org. And to connect with me, hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Pod for the Cause. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app and leave a five-star review. Until then, for Pod for the Cause, I'm Ashley Allison, and remember, a cause is nothing without the people.